Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers that make the sport move. I'm host Dale Spangler, and this week my guest is former works and national hare and hound champion turned fly racing apparel specialist, Gary Sutherland. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. See the fastest racing on two wheels. It's Moto America Superbikes at Road America, June 2nd through the 4th, with seven classes of racing, including 190 mile per hour superbikes and king of the baggers. It's fun for the whole family with available VIP packages where you can treat yourself to the ultimate fan experience and enjoy your very own climate controlled suite with live race feed, timing, and scoring. It's Moto America Superbikes at Road America, June 2nd through the 4th. Reserve your tickets and camping spot today at MotoAmerica.com. Let's get started. Gary Sutherland, welcome to Pit Pass Moto. I think you've been on a few times in the past. Hasn't been with me yet, but how are you today and what's happening in sunny Southern California? Doing good, Dale. Good to chat with you guys. Yeah, it's been a little bit. I've uh, definitely been away kind of off the limelight for a while. So yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, that was, you know, a, a big part of why I wanted to have you on is because you are a past, you know, former champion, off-road champion, works, Heron Hound champion, and you've now transitioned into a role in the power sports industry. So I just kind of really wanted to talk about that a little bit, both actually. Um, as a former champion, though, I mean, it seems like you've had a tough few years, you know, since those 2017 titles, you know, it's, it's just been tough for you to put together a full season again. Tell us about that. How's it been? Yeah, you know, at the end of 2017, there's a, we could we could have a full radio show on just uh, the drama that kind of unfolded at the end of 17. <laughs> but I think realistically, you know, the end of 17 kind of, I got a little jaded towards the industry in a way, just how that was handled and, you know, winning two championships and not having to ride. And uh, I don't think mentally I, I ever got over it. You know, like I just, I just, I struggled a little bit. I got on DC, you know, got back on KTM after I rode Suzuki's for a year, got back on KTM's and just kind of struggled, was doing stuff all on my own. And, you know, I was on the podium and I was just, just was struggling to get that edge to win races back to back again. And when I, my arm, I snapped my arm in 2020, it was kind of a, just kind of ended quick. Wasn't what I was expecting. You know, I had, kind of wanted to do a couple more years and just kind of see where it was and, you know, do some races that I had kind of put on the map. I wanted to do five nationals and do some stuff. So it was kind of a little bit of an abrupt ending and that all kind of just stopped quickly. And it was, it's not never fun to end your career on an injury, you know what I mean? And then I picked an Ironman last year to like just re-energize myself and do something totally different that I totally sucked at. <laughs> and, uh, I started doing that and I ended up snapping a tendon in my ankle and I've been dealing with a bone infection now for about six months. The same thing that kind of ended my racing career was a bone infection. So yeah, it's been a little bit of a rough go, but uh, keeping my head up and staying positive and backpedaling and trying to get you know some weight back off and get back riding. Yeah, definitely some bad luck there. So I felt like you're coming off such a fantastic year in 2017, winning the works and the Heron Hound in the same year. And then you switch to, and I think everybody was excited. I was excited to see it. In 2018, you signed with Suzuki. Yeah. And they had this intent to jump back in and, you know, kind of bring back the Suzuki off-road program of the past, yep. you know, which we know had a lot of success. And uh, it just never really seemed to kind of happen for you there. I remember I remember going to the Atalanta race and seeing you there. And, and unfortunately, you just couldn't seem to keep that bike together, could you? 
No, you know, it was, uh, you know, I signed after 17, unfortunately, when I lost my ride, um, everybody had already had their budgets full and I called up Wheeler and me and Chris Wheeler were chatting and I was like, Hey man, like, I don't have anything right now. Like, what do you think? And he's like, was all on board. Let's get Suzuki back on the map and off road. And, you know, I was looking at it as a, even though I signed a one-year deal, we were both had intentions of moving forward and, and just building Suzuki off-road back. Probably two months into that program, Wheeler got hurt and wasn't able, like I had no communication with anybody at Suzuki at that point and was kind of just on my own. I had one bike, I had two or three different motors and I was just swapping motors in and out and it just fell apart from there. But I stuck with it and for the year and I had, was, I think I was four points down with two rounds to go and I blew up the motor at uh, Mesquite and that basically took me from second in the championship to fifth or fourth, I think. So kind of a hard pill to swallow because then I lost out on championship bonuses, top three bonuses. And, you know, we were that close to a title on a Suzuki and hopefully, you know, I was wanting to move to the 18 model and get off the RMX and actually, you know, start putting in some like we had some good results. I came close to winning a couple races on an old bike and like <laughs> no help. So it was a uh, it was a bummer to see that happen. I probably should have just swallowed a little pride at the end of 2017 and went and bought a couple KTM's or something like that and just uh, you know stuck it out that year. And we all make choices and uh, we had bigger plans. It just didn't work out. So then the next year, I think you know I felt like you were on track to really kind of come back and see if you could win that title back. And uh, you signed with Hatch Racing. Steve Hatch, I think someone you've worked with quite a bit throughout your career. It was actually uh, Fred Hatch. It was Fred Hatch. Oh, Fred Hatch. I thought yeah. it was Steve Hatch for some reason. No, everybody <laughs> got that mixed up. So Fred Hatch, is a, he's a local guy here in uh, Southern California, raced big six for years and years and years, super into the sport. He still actually, to this day, helps out the Three Brothers Racing Team and a lot of the support Husky and uh, Gas Gas teams as well. That's funny. I never knew that. I just, you know. Everybody thought it was Steve. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Steve got a lot of press off that. (laughs) I bet. Hey, I I love Steve. I've worked with Steve in the past and he's a great guy. And um, training with Steve was, I, I learned a lot from Steve when he was in Arizona. Yeah. That's what I remember is kind of the Arizona connection. We were down there and so, yeah, so you come back on KTMs, but then you had this ankle injury and you end up with an infection on that. And so it's just, wow, it just seemed like it was tough. You know, like I said, after that 2017 series, there seemed like there was just something that always seemed to take you out of it. Yeah, broke my foot in 18, broke my other foot in 19. And it was just like, once I started getting momentum going and you know how it is, like just as you get the momentum going, it's just like defeated, right? You're like, oh man, another you know, take you out for two, three rounds. And they weren't big injuries. I mean, I snapped my foot. It's, you know, six weeks in a walking boot. Like it wasn't anything horrible. So it's, but it still takes you out of racing. So that was a bummer. Well, yeah. So then fast forward again to the following year, February, 2020, broke your arm, got another infection. And then of course, you know, COVID hits and it just throws a wrench in everyone's lives. Yeah. So what was it like during, during that period? I mean, were you like thinking, you know, this is the end of my career right now, or were you looking for jobs or what were you doing? So I snapped my arm in February and I snapped it at the race. I didn't even go to the hospital. I just left it in uh, the little cardboard sling and drove back, text my doctor and said, Hey, I broke my arm. Can I come see you in the morning? He's like, yeah, took an x-ray. I'm like, cool. They're going to put a plate in it. Like we're, you know, six to eight weeks, right? I'm thinking, okay, perfect. I'm going to use this time to catch up on some training. Like, let's just keep working. Let's do our thing. And then like 10 days after surgery, I ended up, that's when I found out I had an infection and then COVID hit. And it was, then I had sponsors, like everybody of course was, didn't know what was going to happen with COVID. So 
most of my sponsors were all like they pulled, they just pulled out. And I understand there's no hard feelings. I get it. At that moment, it was kind of like, well, all right, I guess that's kind of like the end. And I didn't really realize it was the end until probably after like my, I had eight surgeries on my arm that year. And probably after like the third or fourth. Holy cow. Yeah. Third or fourth surgery, pick lines. It just was like, all right, this is going to take a lot longer than I expected. And I was like, it's just, it was time. But it is, it's very hard. I think, you know, one thing a lot, a lot of people really dig into is like, you go live, like I only dreamed of racing dirt bikes my whole life, right? You go live your dream. And then when you're done doing that, people are like, oh, what are you going to do now? And you're like, huh. I don't know. <laughs> you're like, I, I didn't really, <laughs> unfortunately, I know this sounds really small minded, but I, don't, I wasn't thinking far enough ahead. And I was, you know, I don't think a lot of people get stuck in that because you're so focused on winning races and racing. And, you know, it's like, it's hard to fill that void once it's gone, right? You don't realize it till it's gone. And you're like, wow, I lived my dream. And people are like, oh, well, what are you going to do? And you're like, I can go do construction. I can work in the industry. But it's still like, there's still just that little bit missing. That fulfillment is just not there. And so that's, I think that's probably the biggest struggle that I've dealt with moving past my racing career is just picking something to be that passionate about because you know when you're racing the passion and the drive you have towards your sport is unparalleled across the board and i'm like i haven't found anything outside of dirt bikes that i'm like man i really am that passionate and have that much fun doing right so i think that's one of the hardest things yeah it's all consuming in my mind because it's like that's what you identify as as a racer and so to not be able to identify as that is a hard transition i feel like for a lot of racers when they get to the end of their career well and you know, off-road guys, like it's not like you're ending your career and you got money in the bank and you're like, I'm going to sit back and invest some money and try. So it's like, all right, my racing career is done. Um, I need a job on Monday. What, do I, what am I going to do? You know? So. <laughs> so how did you, uh, were you kind of in discussions? I know you've been a long time, you know, on and off fly athlete, yep. WPS fly athlete. And so how did that come about? Was it something you were kind of just looking into and inquiring and just kept communications open? Well, you know, it's funny. Actually, when I got done, I was like, you know, mentally, I was pretty over dirt bikes in a, in a way. Like I said, I was pretty jaded after 17, and that didn't really stop. Even at 2020, I kind of still was like, you know what, I want to break. So I started a glass company, and I was doing glass, and I still have the companies. Um, I do some on the weekend here and there. And, and then I did uh, closets and garage cabinets as well as another little company I have. And then um, randomly, I just talking to Chris Kiefer one day and he's like, oh, yeah, Fly's hiring this job down here in California. And I was like, really? I was like, what's it about? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, you want to talk to JT? I was like, sure. So I called JT up and was like, hey, what's going on? And one thing led to another, had a call with JT and Cole and bam, next thing you know, I'm working at WPS. So it was just kind of happened quick. I wasn't really looking for a job in the industry and I wasn't, that wasn't really my direction. The opportunity fell in my lap and I was like, well, you know, let's get back in the industry and do something, you know, like you said, I've been off and on with fly and love the brand and the people there. So I was like, let's, uh, let's go work there. Like you said, you never really officially retired, but you did transition. It wasn't until what, I think 2021 when you finally actually took the job with fly and WPS, but what, what's your day to day look like in this new position? The cool thing is when I took the job, you know, I talked to Cole and um, Jeff Northrop, um, NorCal, he was the, the guy in Southern California for fly. And the big thing is, is, you know, Southern California is a, everybody's down here, right? You have TLD and Fox and Fast House and you have Canvas and all these gear companies and fly for many years is not, 
we can be honest, our design is not the coolest. It's not like, oh, they're the cool brand, right? So part of my job is honestly like go to the track once a week, ride your dirt bike, help out with media launches and just be at local events and local races. And then when you're not doing that, mainly going to the dealerships with our sales reps at WPS, filling in the voids if they're missing something, chest protectors, helmets, whatever, uh, teaching, you know, parts guys about the fly product, you know, working on POP on the walls and window wraps and stuff like that. So basically just, uh, I guess you could say almost like a brand ambassador slash sales slash marketing in a way, like kind of just the whole brand itself in this Southern California area, because we know how crucial it is to be present in Southern California with all the dirt bikes and motocross and everything that's just going on down here. Yeah, it's always made sense. Even when I was, you know, had spent time there my 11 years at WPS, we always talked about having that person that's the person in the van and going to the races and having lunch with with media people. And I mean, it just goes such a long ways in, in our industry. That's that's the cool thing about our industry is it's fun, right? Like that's why we all do it. We're not doing it to get rich and retire early, yeah. right? Like we all enjoy doing it and enjoy dirt bikes. So that's one of those perks that I've been able to enjoy. Unfortunately, I've been hurt the last six months. So I haven't been able to go to the track and ride as much, but it's been it's been nice to transition and see, you know, just fly racing on a consumer side and what's actually selling in the dealerships and you know, it was a big mental change for me to see what's actually selling at a dealership versus what, as a racer, you would buy, right? Yeah. It. I couldn't believe it when I see what's actually selling price point stuff for it. I'm like, what do you mean you're buying it? Like, we have entry-level helmets, but people are like, oh, I'm going to put my kid in an entry-level helmet. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, spend the extra money on the <laughs> on a better helmet and, and, you know, buy a cheaper gear bag. Don't don't buy the Jet Lawrence $500 gear bag and a $100 helmet. Like, let's let's swap those real quick. Let's buy a $500 helmet and a $100 gear bag, you know? <laughs> so has there been some adjustments along the way? Like, I'd imagine some of the desk skills, if you want to call it that. There might have been some things to throw in there to learn a little bit, but you've always had mechanical skills. So I feel like dropping you into a role like that would be pretty easy as far as technical speak. So yeah, is there any kind of weird things that you didn't expect? I really do think the biggest thing is the biggest kind of eye-opener and hardest part was is like understanding that most of these dealerships, you know, you the stuff that we're wearing or racers are wearing $199 pant, like most consumers going into these dealerships are buying the $100 pant and the $29 jersey, you know, like they're understanding their dollar oh, yeah. and they're not just dumping it on the high end stuff all the time. You're like, you like, you definitely see the high end stuff sell, but the volume of the the lower level stuff is where kids are getting, first getting into it on quads or side by side. So it's, it was really eye opening to not be so, you know, just focused on the best, best stuff, right? Like having to learn like maybe a little, I wouldn't say lesser quality, but just a, you know, a price point set of boots and, and trying to understand where the, the consumer sees it, you know, and trying to relate and get that person to understand that, you know, this helmet is better and you want to put your kid in that. Right. So that's probably been the biggest adjustment for me and learning, you know, map and all these little, you know, sales, the sales side of it's been a little like, Oh, okay. Tricky. Like I didn't, didn't understand all that at first, but you know, it, it's all good. Margins and all this other yeah. stuff. Yeah. You end up doing a lot of math, don't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment, but first here's a word from our sponsor. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see, 
They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo Jo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star, a new series from Crowd Network. Well, you mentioned uh, Chris Kiefer, mutual friend yeah. of both of ours, great guy. Um, you have been doing some, you know, test riding here and there for him. And I would assume with Kiefer's technical background with gear that you guys probably talk about gear stuff all the time to where I would assume that even helps you in your your day-to-day job. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Chris, it's, it's really funny because, you know, I've always, you know, done stuff with Chris, done media events with Chris, whether it's, you know, for him and Racer X or just, you know, hey, he's going for a Racer X one or he's going for Kiefer Inc. or whatever it is. And it's kind of funny because when I took this role with Fly, like I'm kind of Switzerland. I'm like, hey, I'm going to with Tilly to Dirt Bike Magazine and we're doing a 450 shootout. And then I'm like, hey, I'm going to Cycle News and doing this. And then I'm coming over to him and then I'm going to swap. And he's like, dude, you can't do that. And I was like, hey, (laughs) I'm not Gary Sutherland in this role. I'm Fly. I'm here to accommodate all the media. And so there's always this, uh, like I show up and do stuff for Tilly or something. He's like, I see how it is, man. It's cool. You're out. No more key freak. You know, so. We, of course, you know, we have that banter going back and forth with each other on that. But yeah, he's really good with gear. I know, you know, his contract with FXR and all his stuff he does, like he is very technical, whether it's dirt bike or um, gear related. And it's it's always good. I like try to get him, hey, want to wear this? And he's always open to wear stuff and give feedback. So it's, it's nice to hear. It's kind of funny, too, because I've learned, you know, at a consumer level, you know, you go in and teach people about gear. A lot of times it doesn't matter. Oh, I have triple stitch this. I have this 87, you know, perforated holes in this set. It's like people are like, okay, I don't need to know. Like it looks cool. Does it fit good? Does it feel good? Right? Like sometimes I think in our industry, we get so caught up on such of the little stuff that we forget. Like people just want to ride their dirt bike. Right. And if it looks good and feels good, they most of the time they just wear it. Right. Yep. (laughs) So I've learned to kind of like tone down the technical side of it and just look at it as like, hey. This design's cool. Fabric's good. Fits great. You know, like little things, bullet points. People don't want to read as much anymore, right? Like, it's pretty funny. (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit more about something that's a big part of your life, and that's dad life. And something I've always had a huge amount of respect for you. Just the way, you know, from the moment you brought your daughter to the races, Emery, and and now you got got married in 2019, and, and you have three kids. So talk about, you know, dad life and, you know, what that means to you. You just seem like you're such a family man. It's pretty amazing. I mean, from, from, you know, rolling to the races with M and, you know, just that whole situation was, you know, crazy. And at M's absolutely amazing. She's 11 now, man. It's crazy. <laughs> it goes by so fast. She's Unreal. in middle school and I'm just like, oh my goodness. You know, I just, and I, I think you could ask any dad and go, wow, it goes by fast. Right. And yeah. then now we have me and Chrissy have a four-year-old daughter, Cheyenne, and then our little, uh, our son's 18 months old. So little Randy. Yeah. Randy, you know, he's the baby boy. Oh my gosh. My, my wife babies him so much. I'm like, babe, you gotta, gotta let him fall a couple of times. Right. You gotta let him, but I get it. It's mama's last, uh, last child. And you know, it's a little boy, so he's going to be a mama's boy for a while, but it's a lot of fun. My, uh, Emery's getting into like mountain bike racing a little bit. She's been enjoying that. So it's fun. I mean, three kids, I feel like two is like, Oh, hey, this is pretty, you know, it's not bad. Two's good. And three is just chaotic. Not like because one kid's bad or not. It's just, there's just so much going on. Luckily, Emery, you know, being 11, really can step in and help out a lot. So it's been really, really awesome to have her. She's a 
amazing big sister and just, you know, helps out so much. It's awesome. Yeah. Every time I, you know, like I see your social posts, I'm just like, your kids just seem like they're so great. You just have so much fun together. Have you found it being a little bit of an adjustment to, you know, the dad life with your professional life now? I think I learned a lot from, you know, when I was racing for a living, I had to go get my work done. I had to go ride. I had to train. I had to work on bikes, but I didn't have help with them. So it was like, at three o'clock when she was out of school, like it was, I was focused on her right now moving into a more professional career as far as like, I'm very conscious about like my time with my family. Like, right. Like it's like, Hey, like I want to make sure I'm home as many nights as I possibly can. I want to be there as many mornings as I can, because you know, if you really think about it, my daughter M's 11 in four years, like she doesn't want to hang out with me and my mom, me and my wife, you know, she's going to want to hang out (laughs) with her friends and go do stuff. So that amount of time you get to really spend with your kids. Like I really want to make sure whatever I'm doing at this stage in my life, it allows me to spend time at home on the weekends, you know, as much as possible. I know we, you know, you have to make money to live, but having that time with the family is, you know, I think anybody can tell you it's, it's means more than the paycheck sometimes, you know? Yeah. I'm sure it's been a transition. Cause I mean, let's face it. Like when you're a professional racer to race at the level that you have, I mean, you have to be selfish in some ways, you know, like you have to do, like you said, put the work in, work on the bikes, drive to the races. But I think it's interesting for Emery, just she literally like grew up in that environment and it just seemed like she enjoyed it. You know, there was lots of people that always seemed to want to jump in and, you know, like watch her during the races. And so what a unique way to grow up. And I would imagine who knows if she'll end up doing something in the the industry or racing or whatever, but it it seems likely, you know, that, that, that tends to happen when you're around it your entire life. <laughs> she still rides. She rides and uh, we do some, we're doing some motor for kids races. She's really into baking right now. That's her. Like, I want to be a baker. Dad. So, okay, whatever. I'm like, <laughs> I always tell everybody, people like, Oh, is M going to race? Is Randy going to race? I said, Hey, I want to teach all my kids how to ride a motorcycle and how to be safe. And I'm like, if they choose to race, like I'm going to support them in it. But if they don't want to race, that's fine. Go do something else. I always want them to have the opportunity to know how to ride a motorcycle in case when they get older, somebody's like, hey, let's go to the desert or whatever. Or if we want to go ride, we can go trail ride, you know? So it's, I'm not like, oh, I want my son to race and be the next, you know, Chase Sexton, Eli Tomac or Ricky Carmichael. I'm not like, I'm not one of those guys at all. I, I could care less. I will just want them to have fun on dirt bikes and be happy. So hopefully they enjoy riding dirt bikes because, you know, that's part of our, our whole family is all about two wheels. So we'll see. Well, Regardless, if you ever do another pro race again, I'm sure I mean, you've had so many good memories through the years. And are there a couple that stand out as just those moments that you're always going to cherish from your career, like, you know, six days or something like that? That you know, What stands out? I think the one race that stands out the most for me was 2017 Heron Hound. There's two rounds to go. And if I won the race, I won the championship. And I remember talking to Taylor was standing there. Ricky was standing there. And at that point, Taylor had missed a few rounds. And I was just, I was Ryan Dungeon it. I'd won two rounds. I'd Ryan Dungeon it. I was like, hey, if I get second, I'm cool. I just, I just need to be smart, right? In it to win it. Yep. And I remember Brayback going, geez, you don't even have to win races anymore to win a championship. And it fired me up <laughs> so bad that I literally, I left that night and Christy was in the van and I said, I'm going to destroy these guys tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to win. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it. I said, let's go. And I never, I don't know. I ended up winning by like three and a half minutes the next day and won the championship. And it, it was so funny because after that race, my wife was like, what in the world got in? Like 
do that every race. And I'm like, I, I would love to. I don't I don't know what got into me, what actually made that push. But yeah, man, it was that was probably one of the coolest things because everybody just thought I was going to like lay up, get second and just take it into Barstow at the last round and just win it, you know, with the top three. And like Kiefer, nobody, nobody showed up. Like nobody showed up to Lucerne because I, nobody really thought I was going to win and win the championship that round. So it was kind of uh, funny to just, you know, go out and do it the way I wanted to do it and win to win the championship. So I mean, it just stamped your authority on it. And that just had to be just so rewarding, like you're saying, because it's just like there was no, you erased the questions yep. at that moment. Exactly. And it, and it was, and I mean, that's just one small, I mean, six days was huge. X Games, like getting to go to Brazil, Spain, Germany, all these places. And, and I mean, all the West Coast stuff. And I mean, there's so many cool memories and cool places I got to race a dirt bike. I definitely will see myself probably doing Mammoth again. Um, I would love, if I ever got to a point where I was back in speed wise shape, I'd love to do a Shugel National one more time. But I just, the years keep ticking by. I keep saying it. The years just keep ticking by. And I'm like, ugh. So you never know. Well, I always like to ask this question of my guests because power sports just draws you in so much to where it's hard to get away from it. But if you weren't, now that you have have an industry job, I feel like that's probably filling some of that two-wheel racing void. But if you weren't, is there something else, like another sector? Is there something that you think you'd be doing that would potentially fill that void? Man, the only other thing I could think of, uh, drive a monster truck. Really? Yeah. I was like, I always, it's funny because I actually hit up a couple, I was like, man, I always wanted to drive a monster truck. I know it sounds so crazy, hillbilly, whatever, but I was like, I think that'd be fun. Like, drive, like we went to Monster Jam and I was like, God, oh, that'd be so cool to drive a monster truck. And that would be the probably the only, like the next best thing to fill a void in racing that or even I told my wife, man, I would love to just get a you know piece of junk stock car and go to Paris on Friday nights and you know bash and bang around a track and, a, and something four wheels. You know, sounds like you need to talk to the Fell people because the more I think about that, I just go, you would be the perfect person for monster truck because there's <laughs> no one out there that will send it as hard as you will. And you're <laughs> you got to keep them. So. No, they got to keep those monster trucks together though. They wouldn't. <laughs> I'm not. I haven't had a good track record of keeping things together. So maybe that might be my only downfall. <laughs> That's true. So what's what's next for Gary Sutherland? Are you going to get back on the bike and doing just some some local races here and there, anything like that? I saw where you, you, you kind of mentioned that you're starting to do some triathlon training. I know that's kind of a, I did that myself when I quit racing for a while. I did running races and road cycling to kind of distract myself. But, you know, of course, it's never the same as riding a dirt bike. No, actually, uh, tomorrow, I think, is going to be the first day back. I'm going to ride Glen Helen, I think, tomorrow, take the fly van out. I think it's been probably seven months since I rode a dirt bike. So I think I'm going to get on the bike tomorrow, go for a ride, uh, just go enjoy, have a little fun. And then I technically am signed up for a full Ironman in October, but that all kind of depends on my ankle. That's why I got injured initially a year ago was I was just jogging, training for an Ironman and uh, snapped the tendon. So I'm still on heavy oral antibiotics. I literally just had a pick line in two weeks ago. So wow, yeah, it's been yeah. pretty rough. So I'm still on heavy oral antibiotics. I'm just finally, I got up early this morning and went for a pedal. So I'm finally starting to get back being active. So we'll just kind of see where it ends up. I got a bicycling trip from Montana to Wyoming this summer. So that'll be fun. And for me, the next step is just being active, getting back out and being active with my family and doing the things that I used to love, you know, a year ago. So 
of this injury has just been holding me back. So that's probably my next real step is just getting back. So which which of the three are you best at? Run, bike, or swim? I'm not good at any of them. Come on, Dale. I'm not good. I'm like, I like, I'm definitely bicycle would be my, um, that's my strongest. I'm not a good swimmer. And I, right now I don't even think I can run. So it's, it's pretty, it's going to be pretty ugly if I end up trying to do it in October. I, I picked, uh, they were nice enough last year. I was supposed to do Arizona uh, Ironman last year and I didn't because I was actually literally laying in the hospital the morning of the Ironman after a surgery. And so they gave me another entry for this year. So I picked Sacramento because it's a downriver swim. It's a flat bike and a flat run. So I was like, nice. it's the easiest one on the, and I'm like, hey, it might be ugly. It might be 15, 16 hours, but I'm, I'm like, I, I think I could get it done. It's more, you know, just getting the body in enough shape to get it done. Well, Gary, really appreciate your time today. Uh, always enjoy talking with, with you, and you're one of my favorite characters in the sport. And uh, any last words before we close out this episode? I just I appreciate you guys uh, thinking about me and having me on. You know, it's uh, it's always nice to get the call and say, hey, you want to chat a little? You know, it's always fun chatting dirt bikes. So um, I do enjoy the, the opportunity to chat with you guys and uh, look forward to doing it you know, in the future sometime. You're welcome on anytime. So thanks so much, Gary. Appreciate your time today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmoto.com where you can listen to past episodes and purchase your very own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.